welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I am your host, Cap Haley. Joining me is my lovely co-host, Eric Van Allen. Hello, hello. It is the summer of games. The the game mess is upon us, and, and we are consumed by Key 3. And with us, helping us commentate on everything that was announced during Key 3 and the Xbox Plus Bethesda Showcase, we have not one, but two Alexes on this show. First, we have our old pal returning to the show. It's Alex Donaldson. Hello. Hope everyone's doing well and enjoying this fantastic bonanza of video games this summer. (laughs) And also joining the podcast for the very first time, it's Alex Kane. Hey, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. Very excited to have you. We are going to be talking about everything that was revealed during the Xbox Plus Bethesda showcase, as well as Jeff Keighley's Summer Game Fest, including Marvel's Midnight Suns, the Starfield gameplay deep dive, Riot Games partnering with Xbox for a whole lot of games, and most important of all, Persona is coming to Game Pass and Xbox, much to the Mm -hmm. consternation of (laughs) Nintendo Switch fans. Before we get to that, thank you so much for listening to and supporting the podcast. If you enjoy it, please go ahead and leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore capod. Eric is at cmoosi, S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. And Alex and Alex, just ask you really quickly, what have you been working on and where can people find you? Start with you, Alex Donaldson. Yeah, so um, I am one of the co-owners of RPG Site at RPG Site on Twitter, RPGSite.net. So, you know, we are exactly what you would expect with a name like that. We're a role-playing game website. I'm also one of the editors over on VG247, VG247.com, you know, standard issue video game website. Um, yeah, and I'm at AP Zone Runner on Twitter. Um, but really, you want to follow at RPG Site at VG247 and you'll get the actual stuff rather than you know me talking about american football and stuff and what have i been working on well um i've been playing a little bit of fire emblem free hopes i'm like going through my head now like what can i talk about um but i've been playing a little bit of fire emblem free hopes and mostly i've been watching everything that's going on here right and (laughs) trying to stay on top of all the reveals and stuff because even though it's a quieter year it still feels really busy (laughs) And Alex, where other Alex, Alex Kane, where can we find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Alex J. Kane with a K. And um, I contributed a couple of chapters to the second volume of the Supercade coffee table book that's coming out uh, like any day now. I'm not sure of the exact release, but I wrote about the N64 and Super Mario 64 for that, which is kind of fun. Um, and then I do an Obi-Wan Kenobi sort of deep dive podcast with uh, what the force um we call it oh. calling on kenobi so we do sort of like an hour and a half on each episode so it's pretty much right what i'm up to lately there's a lot to talk about with star wars these days yeah it's for sure yeah absolutely <laughs> well maybe one day we'll get that kotor uh, rpg the kotor remake right yeah yeah fingers crossed right we also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, where you can go and support the show and get lots of bonus content as a result. We have a Pantheon of the Blood God going on. We just released our Pantheon for Final Fantasy X, which was hosted by Eric. 
And next month's episode, it's another Square Enix joint, Dragon Quest Eleven. That was part of our top 25 yeah. RPG countdown. The new one. Alex, you're making noises, so I assume you're a big fan. Yeah, well, uh, Eleven is really the first Dragon Quest I've really f- properly, properly fell in love with. I mean, being in Europe, um, we didn't get a lot of them even you know in the more recent past uh, but 11 is really the first one that like truly grabbed me to the point that i finished it three times on three platforms so yeah oh wow and finally we have our stars of destiny who can come in and listen to us record live and this week we are joined by beware the slimes drew rwx duck meat not hollow mango alts ruka sarat Tard ten hold. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think that's Sardin. <laughs> that's Sardin. Um, that's Sardin. Oh my gosh. And Spirus, thank you so much for your support. And hey, if you want to join us at the $50 level and get your own topic on the show, there is a slot available for there and you'll get all kinds of free merch on top of that. Okay. We are going to jump in right now to the reveals. We'll start with the Xbox plus Bethesda showcase and the biggest thing by far. Screw Starfield. Persona's coming out on Xbox Game Pass. <laughs> Let's talk all about that. And I, I got to wonder, why are Nintendo Switch fans so salty about this? Somebody please clue me in. Well, I mean, I think they feel... Uh, I think I think that this is always the way with Nintendo fans, right? They think they feel like, especially since the Smash stuff, they feel... They think they're owed a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And they got Strikers, but Strikers is not Persona. Um, right you know it's a cool spin-off and so i get it and also it becomes the thing of like these persona 5 was on ps4 you know it ran at 720 rather than 1080 but it ran so the excuse even of hardware is not really there um we've got to you've got to assume though these are going to come to everything in the long run right microsoft's got a nice neat little deal and they're going into Game Pass, which is great for Microsoft. But this can't be a situation where these don't come out on other things, right? Like, th- these have got to all come to PlayStation and all come to Switch eventually, surely. Yeah, you you would think that. It's, I think it's just a case of, uh, like Alex was saying, Nintendo fans went to Xbox's birthday party and got jealous that they didn't get presents too. Um, <laughs> so, like, there there is that element of it, and the Smash part is is really important. But, like... I, overall, this is huge just because it's Persona 3 portable in a like modern format. Like Persona 5 Royal, I'm happy Xbox folks who can't play it yet are able to play it. And Persona 4 Golden got that Steam port and that really seemed to solve a lot of modern accessibility options. But like Persona 3 portable being readily accessible rules. It's it's awesome. I'm so excited for that. Alex Kane, are you a big Persona fan or not? I've just played a little bit of the fifth one, um, and then I was sort of intimidated when I looked up, you know, how long does this take to beat? And so mm-hmm. I've just kind of mm-hmm. been fooling around <laughs> with other games. But uh, I, I was a big fan of the the animation segments that they put in, and, you know, it feels fun to play so far. But, yeah, I'm probably just going to wait a while. <laughs> Will it coming out on Game Pass be enough to encourage you to pick it up? Xbox tends to be the platform that I gravitate toward trying new things on. So I could, I could definitely see, you know, fooling around with it again when it hits that and, you know, maybe it hooks me, maybe it doesn't, but yeah, like 90 hours just sounds like (laughs) such an undertaking. 
You should try out uh, Persona 3 Portable, which I think is a lot more streamlined than Persona 5 Royal. And Persona 5 Royal nice. is absolutely gigantic. Persona 3 yeah. Portable has been, to this point, more or less locked on the PlayStation Portable, and you can play Persona 3 Fez on the PlayStation 2. I, I believe there was a, Persona, a PlayStation 3 release at one point. I'm not sure if it's still listed. The point is, getting Persona 3 Portable was not easy, and so being able to get hold of it is excellent. I'm a little sad that, of course, it's a portable version, so we are going to have the point-and-click map. I would rather have the fully explorable version of GeckoCon. We've been talking about Persona 3 Portable, actually, in this week in GeckoCon, which is rapidly becoming this month in GeckoCon, because I've been on the road. I've not had an opportunity to play my uh, my PlayStation Vita. been playing another Persona uh, portable device, I'll talk about that in a hot second. Please look forward to it. But in the meantime, uh, Persona 3 Portable, <laughs> there's a weird trend in this show where we become interested in an old RPG that's not extremely available, like Chrono Cross and uh, Live Alive and that kind of thing. And all of a sudden, it's almost like we speak it into existence. <laughs> it suddenly gets ported, and now it's happened again where it's Persona 3 Portable. It's sort of good, but it sort of sucks, right, at the same time, because there is... Persona 3 is one of those games where there's not a definitive version of it. Um, in some ways, absolutely, uh, P3P is better than the PS2 version, but it's also missing quite a lot of content. Um, and I think it, if I had to guess, right, and to be clear, I don't know anything about this, but like one thing I've done a lot of reporting on over the years is sort of the, the code rot with Final Fantasy. Like I, I was the guy who did all the talking about sort of how they'd straight up lost the code for seven and eight. And that was why when they did the HD ports, they had to reverse engineer them. And Square also lost all the stuff from, they didn't lose like the code base, but they lost all the texture base, all the assets for Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy X. They had to redo all those from scratch when they were doing the HD versions. And I bet you Atlas and Persona Studio just literally don't have access to the stuff to do a high definition version of the PS2 version of the game, which is probably why we're getting the portable version, right? Um, but it's it's a, it's a tough one because on one hand, I'm just happy that Persona 3 is playable and viable somewhere, but on the other hand, um, I do lament it's it's the the fair's content specifically, right? It's the it's the post game stuff yeah. that's missing yeah. from the portable version that is a real just sad loss, um, and yeah, that bit sort of sucks as does you know i think that presentation the point and click presentation probably gonna look pretty naff if you're doing it on a big 4k monitor or whatever um but you know you've got to take what you can get right in this situation but i'm glad that it's coming out at all i'm surprised they went with p3p i get like the you get the uh female protagonist that's an amazing thing but i think just fez would look better all things considered so fez Honestly, might have more of an issue of looking dated by comparison because they would have to do a lot of work to it to make it look good. Whereas like with with P3 Portable, at least you can be like, oh, well, it's a visual novel style presentation. And that, you know, coming from granted, I myself am not a game developer. I'm just somebody who talks to a lot of game developers. But it seems like from the outside, it, it would be easier to make Persona 3 Portable look presentable on a modern system than trying to take a lot of the 3D runaround I, graphics I from the PS2 era. I disagree, actually. I think uh, 
yeah, I Portable took a actual visual hit on the PSP compared to the PS2 version. It's really noticeable when you're playing it on Vita after playing Persona 4 Golden and whatnot. And uh, Alice did give uh, P4 Golden a little bit of a facelift on uh, when it came out on Steam. And I don't think Persona 3 Fest is actually that far removed from uh, P4 Golden. I think the main thing that's kind of holding it back are the quality of life improvements, whether or not mm, people will yeah. be okay with, say, not being able to control the entire party and that kind of thing. But uh, at first blush, I actually think that it would be easier and probably more presentable to get P4, uh, P3 Fest over. But ultimately, uh, you know, <laughs> Persona 3 has been crying out for a remake for quite a while mm. because it's so flawed. It's like, which version do you pick? And we're seeing that in action right now. I think the overwhelming likelihood is that in those days, they did just, in Japan, they just burned assets when they were done with games. They didn't see the logic on the whole, generally speaking, unless you like Nintendo, they've got extremely good archives. Seems like Sega's are pretty good too. But I think a lot of those companies like Square and probably um, probably Atlas were just like, they just get rid of stuff. And so I think probably they would have done Fez if they had the means and they probably legitimately just don't have the means. And at that point, it's like, do you do a native port of this PSP version that so for anyone who hasn't played these games if you've played the later Persona games you obviously run around a world when you're in the exploration you know um, and Persona 3 was also like that but on the PSP they turned it into a visual novel where you're just looking around a screen and clicking on stuff and if the choice is between having that and have it actually be widescreen and stuff or like hacking together running a PS2 ISO and having it before free and stuff they made the right choice in that sense, but some of the content is definitely a bummer to be gone. But, you know, hey ho. Beyond that, we also learned that Persona 5 Royal is going to be coming to Game Pass on October 21st. Maybe I'll actually uh, play it at this point, but now that it's going to be on PC, I'm going to play it on my Steam Deck and it will be great. But Oh, yeah, yeah. I also saw the trailer for Persona 4 Golden, and I've been a little rough on P4 Golden, I'm not going to lie on this show, but hearing uh, Reach Out to the Truth, which might be my favorite RPG battle theme of all time, playing on that stream, I was like, I want to play Persona 4 Golden now. Oh my God. (laughs) So very, very good trailer, very good news. And hey, Nintendo Switch fans, I know you're feeling a little salty. You're not not getting uh, Persona on Switch yet. The Final Fantasy Pixel remasters are still MIA for whatever reason. This is good news. It means that Persona's probably not locked to the PlayStation anymore, which means I think Nintendo Switch release may be inevitable. Hey, they might even announce it at the Nintendo Direct that might appear at some point in the Mm. future. Yeah, it totally could. question mark, yeah. I think the interesting question off the back of this really is, it's it's a similar thing with Final Fantasy, right, where Xbox announced they were going to have all the old Final Fantasy games on Game Pass, and they all came to Game Pass, and that's great. Um, but then you just have Sony dropping a huge bag of cash at Square's door and we've got, um, you know, 7 and 16, both PlayStation exclusive, at least for a period of time. Um, and it's like, this is a great step forward, getting Persona onto Xbox at all for Microsoft. But really the key for them, for like Phil Spencer and people, is that you need to you need to get Persona 6, Right. Otherwise, what's the point? You're building this audience for nothing because even people who will get into Persona and perhaps come to love Persona via Game Pass then have to go and buy a PlayStation to buy the next one. And 
yeah, so that that that's a problem for Microsoft, and it'll be curious to see. I can't see Persona Six coming to Xbox Day and Date or PC, honestly. But um, then again, they managed it with Yakuza, right? So who knows? But Speaking um, of Yakuza, they got a relationship with Sega now, and yeah, uh, in, in theory. Yeah, in theory. But I agree with you. I don't think... I just can't see Persona 6 being out on the Xbox right away. But here's the thing. Persona 6 will generate a lot of hype and a lot of fans will pick it up. But it's not like it's a a true system seller. It does have a few million copies uh, at best. Uh, I I think the impact of the Persona series has always been uh, a little overstated, I should say. Uh, The entire Persona series has been done about 15 million copies overall. So it's that th- growth. It's that growth, yeah. though, right? So Persona yeah, yeah. Five plus Royal has sold over five million copies, which puts it within a couple of hundred thousand of Final Fantasy VII Remake. Yeah, and when you think really about remarkable. it in in those terms, the Persona is on the. So this comes into a whole Final Fantasy debate, right? But like Final Fantasy, and this is something I've been thinking about a lot with sixteen coming up. Um, is so you think about Final Fantasy VII. That game sold 10 million copies or thereabouts on PS1. And it was one of the biggest games of all time. Because back then, 10 million copies was the top of, you know, the top of the industry. But then after that, the industry got bigger and bigger and bigger. And Final Fantasy has done eight, six, nine, you know, and, and I'm talking about millions there. And obviously with 15, they managed to do 10 million again. But basically all that effort with 15, all that trying to appeal to a new audience, and what they ultimately did was only just scrape back to where they were with 7. Meanwhile, you get a game that comes out that gets absolutely hung, drawn, and quartered like Cyberpunk, and it breezes its way to nearly 20 million. And what I find fascinating, I just want to say, is that you know Square Enix is explicitly trying to make Final Fantasy appeal to Westerners. It's gone uh, a lot more action-focused. And Persona would seem to be giving lie to that entire approach because it's a command system. It's very anime. It is defiantly Japanese. And in many ways, it seems like Persona and Final Fantasy are two ships passing the night. Moving One is moving up and one is moving down. In opposite down. directions. Yeah. And one costs a lot more money to make. And, and I think Persona's part of an overall trend as well. You look at how well Fire Emblem Free Houses did for Nintendo. Mm. That's a similar story to a similar story to Persona, where that's a series that used to be this niche. If it does a million copies, it's a good result. And suddenly there's been this explosion. And now, yeah, it's, it's within punching distance of the most recent Final Fantasy game. And that's interesting and so it's like is there an opportunity there for for atlas with persona 6 yeah do i think it's going to sell 10 million copies no do i think it's probably going to do better than persona 5 which means it will do at least maybe 6 million yeah i think it probably will and so that's interesting it's growth right i think the greatest takeaway that you just brought up is the success of three houses mixed with persona which means that atlas really just needs to bring devil survivor back um it is it <laughs> so is play an soul hackers now. too my friend but <laughs> I, I mean it just does look good it turns out people like anime what do you want you know like anime is just a thing um Korean uh, Korean shows are also a thing. I mean, you just look at the success of the Hoyoverse and Genshin Impact. Yo, with- Zenless Zone Zero looks good. Looks I am lit. really all in on it. I'm excited game. about Honkai Star Rail. I mean, it looks like Fantasy Star, but good. So, mm. 
That's yeah, and, and, and this is this is exactly what I mean, right? About Xbox. That's the if you're thinking about the platform big picture, it's that is as far as Japanese games go, that is their challenge. It's all well and good mm-hmm. going and offering money to put old games on Xbox, but they need to get the new games as well. And it's like going into today, right? There was big expectation because of some speculation and stuff that Final Fantasy VII Remake would be here. And, you know, we're now two months out and Sony's exclusivity is over and I don't think it's coming to Xbox. Um, By the way, I just want to say, I hear all you Fantasy Star fans picking up your pitchforks. I didn't mean Fantasy Star. <laughs> I meant Star Ocean. Okay. <laughs> the the Star- one spurned Fantasy Star fan who's still <laughs> mad that we took it off the top 25. <laughs> hey, I like Fantasy Star. I don't like Star Ocean. Okay, let's talk about some of the other games that were shown at the Xbox Plus Bethesda Showcase. Uh, we got the final class shown in Diablo 4. It's the Necromancer, which is a little bit of a surprise. Um, they will be joining the Barbarian, the Sorceress, the Druid, and the Rogue in Diablo 4. I was watching that trailer. I got to say, it looked great. It brought me back mm-hmm. to... 90s blizzard in so many ways and after years and years of that cartoony world of warcraft look i think that it was a really good call for them to go in this particular direction with diablo 4 we'll see how well the actual online elements end up working out but i think that it was a really great showcase for this game that has been in development for quite a while now what do you all think do we have any diablo fans in the house right now I mean, just from the showcase alone and and from playing like Diablo 2 Resurrected and and really getting back into uh, Diablo through that, I love the gameplay of Diablo 3, but I'm with you that the aesthetic, the general appeal was not there for me uh, visually. And I hate to say it, but like Blizzard games on some level do need that charm to, to drag me in as well. Like Overwatch is a lot of things, but it's also very charming and endearing. And I think that's why it's it's stuck more than, say, your Battleborns have. Uh, and so I think Diablo 4 having this really, like, it's back to that gritty, that grimy, like, there should be some some chug metal playing in the background. Like, that's, I, I am so into that vibe and the vibe of the trailer. Uh, all the trailers that they've shown so far, I think, have been very good, so. I can't quite put my finger on it. Maybe it's about the art, I don't know. But this feels like a sequel to... Diablo 2. Just mm, the look yeah, of it, yeah. the vibe I get of it, off it, it just feels like a sequel to that game, which I don't think the third necessarily did. And the other thing I'd say is the third game was one of those games, uh, like things like Street Fighter 4, uh, Street Fighter 5 rather, where it just had all that crap out of the gate. And even though they fixed all, the, all those problems and all that, well, not all, but a lot of that monetization greed and stuff, that followed the game around like a storm cloud for the rest of its life. Um, they're already, and again, same situation as Street Fighter Five going into six. You look at what they're saying. Um, some of the Blizzard peeps are on Twitter talking about um, DLC and what's paid and what isn't. They're already making all the right noises, like saying real money can only be changed for cosmetic stuff, except for when they're going to do full expansions. And that stuff reassures also um, that they're going in the right direction. Yeah, uh, I think that's their they. That's totally their intention. That's what they've been going for this whole time is, well, yeah, well, Diablo 3 happened. Going back to Diablo 2, though, that's the one that everybody loves. Uh, for the record, I really liked Diablo 3, and I especially liked the expansion that came out. I thought they did a terrific job of turning that game around. But yes, I, I really like that Diablo 4 
has a, a particular vibe, I shall say. And um, I, we'll see how the online ends up turning out. It's coming out next year, so we've still got a while to wait. But I, I think it was a really good showing at the Xbox Showcase. Uh, Alex Kane, are you a Diablo fan? I played some Diablo 3, you know, probably 16 hours of fooling around with friends. And it it's a lot of fun. I think that the art style in this new one is more appealing to me. Like you guys kind of said, it just sort of feels less of a, less like uh, cartoony. I don't know. Um, and, and sort of my favorite thing about Diablo three was playing as the necromancer when they added that. So, um, you know, this bit that they showed with like the, uh, the animations and, and sort of showing off the, the art style of the necromancer class was appealing to me. And I was like, Oh yeah, this is definitely something that probably played day one. You know, I liked the, uh, the big bad Lilith that they showed. That was cool. We'll see how that ends up turning out. Uh, we've been talking mostly about ports and, uh, sequels to this point, but a brand new game that was revealed during the Xbox and Bethesda showcases from Obsidian. It's called Pentiment. It's Mm -hmm. a narrative RPG adventure, whatever that means. Um, I've heard some speculation that it is set in the Pillars of Eternity universe, actually. Love the art style. It's very Monty Python-esque, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It looks great. Uh, It looks great. Mm -hmm. What is everybody's thoughts? Yeah, it it just looks really interesting and i've i've loved for a long time the idea that some of these larger studios as they become so large that they will get these pockets within them of okay there's maybe some writers who are between projects and there's some stuff going around there's some concepts getting shared around that maybe some cool ideas pop up and they put out a cool project and pentiment seems like one of those and like historically those have always been fascinating to see um it doesn't just give you an idea of what they're working on and what they're thinking internally, but it's, it, it just, you know, it, it has an air of like passion project to it. Like they just wanted to do something really cool and really neat and really out there. And it, it was, I think one of the big things I'm coming away from this weekend is that there's a lot of sameness across the board. I was lamenting earlier that, Oh my God, it's another space horror game. How many people are making space horror games? So right many now? four player co-op yeah, that, yeah. Like games so as well. survival I'm so bored of it here's another stardew valley game um it's there's there's a lot of ideas that people are just kind of iterating and riffing on but doing the same general template under it and pentiment is just something that i look at and i'm like i it's so unique and so interesting it can't be mistaken for anything else and it even if it doesn't turn out well i hope it does but it's at least something that's like a breath of fresh air in the midst of you know, here's Callisto Protocol, and then another here's Routine, and here's Dead Space Remake, and here's all it's the It's not other... another sci-fi survival horror game with zombies. Yes, yes. Or this robots. is Game Pass too, right? Like, like, yeah. like, like yeah. what yeah. you said, yeah. this mm-hmm. is about... No, but what I mean, this is a result, in a way, of Game Pass. Like, this is a game mm-hmm. that... I've done a couple of studio visits to Obsidian over the years before they were absorbed by Microsoft, and, you know the impression I always got is that was a studio that was like in a studio sense, almost living paycheck to paycheck, right? Like Mm -hmm. when they were making South park and they were making pillars, they were also doing all that work for hire for a world of tanks clone called armored warfare or something like that. And the impression was totally like, that was the thing they were doing. 
in order to keep the bills at bay, in order to do the things they wanted to do, like pillars. But, you know, I guess the advantage of being in this ecosystem now is not every game needs to be massive. And as a result, we've got grounded in this, mm-hmm. which I think mm-hmm. is pretty cool. And also, I think it keeps people like, like you know, wherever Josh Sawyer goes, I will follow. In terms yes. of that's a game, yeah. that's a game developer I will follow. But the nice thing is, chances are, if Obsidian wasn't in this situation, he probably would have just it would have been leave the company or work on Avowed, one of the two, leave mm-hmm. the company or work on the big game. But he's getting to do this, which is awesome. So yeah, I will be definitely playing it. And one of my takeaways is that. Xbox purchased all these studios, and it seems to me that uh, studios like Double Fine and Obsidian, another studio that always kind of was living paycheck to paycheck, as it were, Mm -hmm. finally have the freedom to really be creative because all Xbox is really looking for is really neat content that they can put on Game Pass, as you were kind of saying, Alex. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this is perfect. This is perfect. So I think that uh, this is one of maybe the benefits of all of Microsoft's uh, ex- uh, acquisition spree, as it were. But yeah, yeah. All right. I, re- uh, I really liked the. This- uh, oh, sorry. I, go, I was just go gonna ahead, say, I, I really I liked the uh, the sort of art style being the sort of medieval illuminated manuscript sort of storybook vibe, and mm. that's so mm-hmm. like non mm-hmm. non commercial. That uh, yeah. I don't know that that's what drew me in. Not, not necessarily until the name obsidian showed up. Was I like, Oh, like even better, but it just looks so unique. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll be jumping to Starfield for a sec, but first Eric, I'll let you gush over riot games, uh, <laughs> partnering with Xbox because that's a lot. I mean, I, I think it's the perfect time to talk about it because Alex was, was just saying like game pass as this idea, like, like again, We've been saying this for a while, but with every showcase, Xbox keeps laying into it with like, we want Game Pass to be a service. We want Game Pass to be the thing, and it's going to enable other parts of our company as well. And for those who have not played League of Legends, for those who have not played Valorant or or any of the other Riot Games games, I cannot stress to you enough how massive of a value proposition having a Game Pass sub equaling every character unlocked i'm actually i'm gonna google this real quick because i would love to know this i haven't looked this up in a while um i think there are over 140 champions in league of legends that you would have to normally either unlock through the the grind through through getting stuff uh you're you're kind of free to play currency or spending money uh valorant agents you can also unlock free to play but it takes a significant chunk of time i'd estimate probably about like eight to 10 hours of play time to get an agent unlocked probably. Um, and I mean like actual in-game time, not just playing Valorant time. Uh, it's, it's, it's an undertaking. So now we were talking before the podcast, Alex Donaldson and I, and, and mm. we were talking about how you, you can boot up league of legends. Now, if you are a new player and you don't have to play that game of, okay, well, what are the starter champions? What should I be playing first? What's free on the rotation? Oh, I was playing last week and I really liked Rise, but now Rise is out of the free week uh, rotation. So now I have to learn how to play Ari or I have to learn how to play some other, like, uh, it's or been pay. so long since it was Zareth. Yeah, it's, yeah, or pay money. 
and and so now like if you have a game pass sub this is not live yet i believe it's coming this winter is what they said but Mm -hmm. um they're they're saying like you will get all the champions just unlocked the whole roster plus all incoming ones too so every time there's a new character it's a day one drop for game pass same with valorant with uh with the mobile version too that was also very interesting because wild rift has been pretty popular on mobile and that's a really big value add for xbox to have mobile stuff alongside their pc game pass stuff because they've been pushing into that with cloud too like it is <laughs> like gameplay of starfield cool gameplay of redfall cool all that's neat all that we kind of knew was coming i don't think anyone saw the riot game stuff really coming everyone was seemingly yeah. surprised by it and it is such a a massive moment of like this makes so much sense that at this point like it, it's that appeal to uh why would someone pick up game pass i know i know people who wouldn't get game pass normally who will get it just to have league of legends unlocks it is worth mm. it for that so um yeah it's it's an incredible get i i'm still someone should someone should floored. do the maths someone should do the maths on how much how many champions or whatever you could unlock with the price of a year of game pass um and that's what this show was about right some people are a bit disappointed in the nature of this show some people wanted big announcements whatever but when you look at that splash image they put up uh, towards the end of the show. Um, mm. The only games on it pretty much that aren't in Game Pass um, is the new Elder Scrolls Online expansion, which is an expansion, so they don't do those in Game Pass. Um, and the Blizzard stuff, which will go into Game Pass if mm-hmm. that deal closes. Um, and then, you know, they had Dead Space and Resident Evil and stuff like that um, on that end slide. But like that's it's sort of crazy that like 90 95% of everything that was even mentioned in that broadcast was in game pass. And then they're giving you this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like, and also, you know, you've got this cloud stuff that was announced last week as well, right? Where if you've got a Samsung TV, you're going to be able to download an app. And if you've got a game pass subscription, you're just going to be able to stream stuff from the cloud. And I'm, I'm not suggesting you play, you know, all of, I don't know, all of mass effect legendary edition through the cloud. But um, it means if you, want to play a little bit of something and you're not near your console yes it's opening up options um yeah it's it's that idea of getting more people having the idea of of maybe opening i played fortnite for the first time this week i finally just played fortnite and i had that moment where i finally played it and i was like oh this game's kind of all right this game's actually not that bad once once you play no build <laughs> and take out the yeah. thing i don't like about fortnite i think uh, xbox would and have now to I'm pay sitting, me to play fortnite, like, honestly <laughs> <laughs> now i'm sitting here like oh when the league of legends arcane skins come back into fortnite i might want to go get those because i like playing fortnite and i should play those so what if now somebody picks up game pass who normally wouldn't try out league of legends but they're like oh i can play any one of the champions and they're like oh I kind of like League of Legends. And you know what? I really like this Ari character. Maybe I should get the KDA K-pop star skin to go with her. That that makes a lot of sense. And that's what Riot is seeing because that's just the, the landscape of games we are moving into now. So, And then we never saw Eric again. 
Yeah, no, I'm just <laughs> I'm living in Fortnite now. Did you all realize how ridiculous Fortnite is? It is actually 100% my shit. That game just I'm... rewards you for doing the dumbest things at all times. And I don't know why I wasn't playing it earlier. I was just kidding. <laughs> Let's talk about Final Fantasy 14 more. <laughs> Anything did not talk about Fortnite. <laughs> but we talked about a bunch of games on here. But actually, the real main event, of course, was the Starfield uh, showcase. It went on for quite a while. Todd Howard was there to outline all of the customization and the exploration and the storytelling and everything. And I want, uh, I've heard some excitement. I've heard people kind of being like, I'm not sure, but I am curious what everybody here thinks. I'll start with you, Alex Kane, because I know you like yeah, sure. sci-fi. What'd you think? <clears throat> Yeah, I I feel a lot better about the game after what we saw today, you know. Um obviously I've got my concerns and questions, but um you know, having not really seen much of the game to date other than like a little bit of that robot and some of the art direction, uh it was nice to kind of see you know, the building system, the character creation, the you know, flying around in space and there being like sort of dog fights. I mean, um they really kind of delivered some of the stuff that I wanted to see from it. And so ultimately, you know, I have, you know, is it going to perform the way that I hope that it will, you know, that's another thing is, um, but yeah, I mean, they, they kind of hit the right notes for me in terms of like what I loved in fallout four was that settlement system that kind of let me, Hey, we got another settlement advocate here. Oh my gosh. I thought I was the only one. What the I'm settlement system? Right yeah, yeah. Just, everybody's oh, I, always been so down on that settlement system. I loved it so much. Holy it's I adore it. Cool. Yeah. Thank well, you. Actually, that, Thank you. That looks, right? Yeah. Because yeah. it, it definitely feels like this is a sequel to Fallout 4 in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Like, I got so many vibes of just they took the ideas from that game and were like, right, new setting. How can we elevate all these ideas? Because it's like the settlement stuff, seeing the spaceship building. Mm. which very mm-hmm. much looks similar to the settlement building. I was just like, mm-hmm. it just got me so excited. Um, yeah. You're never going to see me again when this game comes out. <laughs> I'm going into space. <laughs> I'm hopping into my starship, the SS cat or whatever I end up naming it, flying into the stars. You can recruit a, you can recruit a crew. You can fly around in space and actually have space battles. There are like a thousand planets to explore. Somebody called it No Man's Skyrim. I'm here for it. Let's go. <laughs> the I, the uh, thousand planets bit scares me a bit because that's where yeah, you end yeah, up, yeah. obviously, with There's procedurally no generated well. nonsense. We, yeah. You know, we've all been mining in the in the Mako in Mass Effect One, right? Like, like that's that's the risk on on mm-hmm. the other end of that. Mm-hmm. But you know, I want to believe. I do want to believe, and I think if any team can sort of potentially pull that off, it's probably these guys. I do wish. When I when I was watching the footage, it's like the first section of that what they showed. I was like, it was that drab research base, and everything's sort mm, of brownie mm-hmm. gray, everything's quite gritty. And it, again, it was giving me these Fallout vibes, and I was like, mm. but then they did show glimpses of some populated areas where there was like you know a city with like very you know cyberpunky Blade Runnery neon lights mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. advertisement and stuff. And when I saw that, I was like, okay. Now I'm with this game. Um, so I hope there's a lot of that to get stuck into. You could build your own base at everything. 
So it seems uh, so the No Man's Skyrim uh, kind of uh, comparisons also hold up there. Uh, Eric, go ahead. I, I was just gonna say, like, yeah, I, I was right there with you, uh, Alex Donaldson. Like, I I saw that opening thing and I was like, oh boy, you know, they're kind of walking around on this desolate gray planet. You're shooting a mm-hmm. rock with a laser, and then it gets into the gameplay, and it's honestly very Call of Duty almost. The way you've got like this futuristic p90 just hosing bullets down a hallway and i was like yeah okay grenade indicators popping up and i was like oh here we go but then we we got into the city we got into seeing your companion walk around with you we saw i I, surprisingly the the npc stuff like them talking to you and doing the whole you know bethesda rpg talking face thing the exact camera angle we all know and love yeah uh i was like oh oh, they will have that, won't they? And then they'll have like factions and stuff. And the idea that there could be different factions on these planets and you could be kind of playing them off one another and doing the whole space adventurer vibe. I mean, I've said it before that if this turns out to be the Expanse RPG that I have just been craving ever since watching the Expanse, I would love that. And it at least seems like they're kind of going for it. That part has me excited. And then also... I, there there were some shots of them doing like some zero G gunfighting <laughs> and that I'm excited for because again one of the things that like Outer Wilds really and not Outer Worlds Outer Wilds <laughs> really got right was that sense of gravity and the vacuum of space and I don't know how much they're going to really let you get out of the ship and do things like that but even just segments where that gameplay can be less Call of Duty and be more like we are going to really grapple with what being in space means. That's exciting to me. So I'm hopeful that that stuff is good. I am worried about the thousand planets because, you know, we talked about how, you know, the planet design might not be there. I'm worried about like how, what does that mean for the narrative? Like, is the narrative largely going to be contained to like one system and then not really like, you're going to kind of have one place. It's like, this is where you go if you want the story. And then if you want to go, F off and go do like no man's sky stuff. We've got like 999 other systems. You can do that in like, what is that Mm -hmm. going to look like for the scope of this game? Uh, And is that going to affect the narrative quality? Because for me, if the pitch is it's no man's sky, but there's a narrative single player story quest in the middle of it, that's already a pretty strong pitch for me. So yeah, uh, it it just depends on where they land on it. Yeah. No man's sky was never able to really get the single player aspect as it were. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's fun to, build a base and explore and go to different planets and everything. I actually picked up No Man's Sky again recently because I was just kind of having the itch to play it. You know, it sort of looks like a game that was made in 2016. I mean, they've added plenty of updates and everything uh, to make it look a lot better than it has before. But um, even on the PlayStation 5, um, you know, it feels a little bit janky in some ways uh, still. And um, there are systems upon systems upon systems heaped on one another. And I think uh, the more cohesive feel of Starfield and, and frankly, the better graphics and everything uh, definitely have a lot of appeal to me. They can, I, I, for me, it goes all the way back to the, you know, the promise of Elite back in the early 1980s, right? Mm, yeah. Mm. I mean, we've yeah. been I'm sure for a that game was like, an influence because that yeah. seems like the sort of game that Todd would have a great reverence for. Absolutely. Uh. Yeah, I mean, the, the one, one thing I'll say is to what you were saying, Eric, like, you know, about the controls and about it looking Call of Duty-ish. I was pretty pleased with that, and I, I thought to myself, I wonder if um, 
I wonder if Id has had a hand in sort of helping them to yeah. tune this or whatever, because you've got to remember both the Fallout games that they did um, were both pretty poor controlling. And if you assume this game doesn't have VATS because it's a Fallout thing, um, it's got to have better shooting because you can't pause and stop right. necessarily. Right. And so hopefully this has, if the combat in this feels as good as Call of Duty and then there's some good RPG systems on top, um, and underneath and woven throughout that, that would be a real win. I don't think it'll be as good as Call of Duty because Call of Duty only does shooting, but if it can at right. least be as good as Cyberpunk, for instance, like Cyberpunk was pretty good at getting that balance right of RPG systems and, well, Cyberpunk was extremely breakable, but aside from the fact you could use the RPG systems to break the game wide open mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. quite recently, the shooting was good. And so hopefully it's at least that good on terms of the handling. I don't think shooting has. I don't think shooting has ever been a strength of uh, the Fallout series, and I don't think it ever will be. I think the no. strength will be the exploration, the customization, um, the sheer amount of things to find. If uh, Bethesda does one thing really well, it's scope, and uh, this game will certainly have that. Uh, my one of my main takeaways from it when I was seeing it was, oh yeah, I know, I can understand why it got delayed because it did look rough quite rough in Mm -hmm. some places, but I think that I really like how it's ultimately coming together. I've been on the record that I um, am most excited for Starfield. That was my most anticipated game of 2022 until it got delayed. I was quite heartbroken. I'm still mourning to some extent, but I mean, they got a lot more polishing to do. It's fine. It seems like this is even bigger of a game than they were used to. And it will be out within 12 months, apparently, because everything that was shown was ostensibly going to be available within 12 months, except Silk Song, maybe. I don't know. Well, yeah, I made a joke in our internal company Slack that Silk Song showed up and all they really announced was that it's coming to Game Pass and there wasn't a date on it. And then right after that was the bit where they said 12 months. And so I just typed like all caps Silk Song release window <laughs> confirmed. <laughs> we got something, baby. <laughs> uh Okay, Mango in the chat is saying they confirmed on Twitter that Silk Song is within 12 months. So we've got Okay, that. that's good to know. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Within the next year. Yeah, I think I think I think Starfield will make that uh that within 12 months. So well, I think it will mm-hmm. be in the first 6 months of the year. It's it's going to be an incredibly stacked year next oh, year when you think about it. You know, you, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a lot. Um but that's a good thing cuz this year's sort of the opposite. So yeah. Any final thoughts on Starfield? Uh, just that like one of the sort of subheadings under that idea of Bethesda is good at scope. Like one of the things that they do really well in games like Morrowind and Fallout 4 is that sort of handcrafted quality to the locations, you know, the sort of like world art, you know, you sort of find this like uh, random fortress or dungeon and um you know, they put like a lot of love into some of those locales. And I, I hope that they manage to sort of uh, hold themselves back with Starfield enough to kind of maintain that balance, you know, that sort of idea that, you know, maybe you can explore 10 planets in a solar system, but, you know, ideally in, in each solar system, there would be, a, you know, some places like that that still have that feel of, you know, what, like Bal- Balmora or, you know, uh, what Solstein, you know, some of these places that you can name from like Skyrim and you're like, you can picture it because it's so beautifully authored, you know, rather than just like, 
you know, <laughs> a thousand sort of uh, generic modular space hubs that all look identical. That That's my only kind of real worry other than performance. But, I, you know, I, I trust them, you know, BGS, their, their whole thing is they want a game to have an identity. So, so far it looks like it does, you know. Yeah, definitely. They've just got to avoid that. Mass Effect Uncharted Worlds thing where, you know, there are story planets and then there are yes. procedurally yeah. generated planets mm-hmm. with modular bases that look the same but a slightly different layout. That's what they have to avoid. But I think they will. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm af- I'm afraid that there will be acid swaps. I mean, how 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 deep can you go with a thousand planets? That's just crazy. You're gonna start to see a lot of repeats at a certain mm-hmm. point. Um Interestingly enough, uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed seeing at Summer Game Fest, even though it wasn't playable, was Nightingale, which I think is shape is from Aaron Flynn, who used to work over at BioWare, used to run the studio there. Big BioWare pedigree. And I think that that game is doing kind of the procedurally generated worlds right, because uh, it has this concept of being able to use these realm cards that they introduced to be able to customize the world that you go into so that you can then be able to mine stuff and uh, build up your base and everything. And I just love the look of that game. I love the feel of it. And it feels like it's going to fulfill the promise of No Man's Sky. I'm curious to see whether Starfield will be able to do that as well. Hmm. All right. That is everything that came out of the Xbox Plus Bethesda showcase. I'm curious to know, what was the thing that stood out to you the most? I think uh, some of you are mixed on Starfield, but I want to hear what you have to say. Send me a DM on Twitter at the underscore catbot or mail me at cat at or drop a note in our mailbag channel. Before the Xbox Plus Bethesda showcase, there was also the Summer Game Fest Live plus Day of the Devs plus Wholesome Games plus Guerrilla Games plus Upload VR plus the PC Games Show. There were like more than a hundred, like hundreds, literally hundreds of yeah. games shown over the past few days. Way too many to cover at a certain point. But, and, and honestly, Summer Game Fest was just the the horror show. It was just all horror, all the time. If you wanted zombies eating astronauts or psychological mm-hmm. horror or robot horror, well, Summer Game Fest had that in spades. But we did get a few trailers. One of them was for One Piece Odyssey. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make an admission I, I apologize to Bob Mackey. I've never watched a single episode of One Piece. That's valid. That's totally valid. <laughs> so that's, you know. that's valid. That's valid. We have I mean, it's been going on, on for so long, right? Yeah. <laughs> so much filler at this point. Uh, Alex, the two Alexes, have either of you watched One Piece? No, not yet. No. Legitimately, despite running a website with a huge focus on JRPGs, I've only watched about three anime in my life. Um, really which ones yeah uh cowboy bebop evangelion are the two that i've that i've watched all the way through and then i've dipped my toes into various other bits here and there but i've never been a massive um anime person i respect the artistry of it and and you know there's a lot of stuff um there's a lot of crossover where i know i would like it because i like tales off and persona but i just don't get time (laughs) even less so now i have a question for you do you Mm -hmm. consider avatar the last airbender and legend of korra to be under the anime umbrella that's uh you know that that links back to the question of um 
what is a Japanese RPG? Is yeah, a Japanese right. RPG a Japanese <laughs> an, an RPG made in Japan, or is it an RPG with a certain subset of mechanics and stylistic choices? Is South mm-hmm. Park the Stick of Truth a Japanese RPG? Is Undertale a Japanese RPG? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm inclined to think a lot of these labels are slightly rubbish, but one of the things we sort of say on RPG site when we talk about them is largely that we think about what people think of when you say the word JRPG and people Mm. tend Mm -hmm. to think of a particular aesthetic and certain Mm. particular mechanics and not about the race, ethnicity or location of the people who made it. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's sort of like if, it would be easy for them to make a Final Fantasy game that is still a JRPG in the West, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. they could very easily make a Final Fantasy game that is a Western RPG or the, in Japan. I mean, that might be happening. Um, mm-hmm, in fact, mm-hmm. it sort of is happening. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's, but it's kind of worms, right? If because I know that's a big argument, right? On, on like among anime communities, if you say that those show, that that show is an anime, people go what? yeah that's that's kind of why i brought it up is because i i think it's really interesting that the one piece game for it's done so many of the muso type games and obviously it's been in the shonen jump arena fighters and all that but i'm actually really excited to play this one because i'm not a one piece fan at all i i honestly like the art style of one piece has never appealed to me ever (laughs) i don't get it uh but I, I'm interested because it is a JRPG take on yeah, it. Yes, a like command-based JRPG. Watch it outsell Final Fantasy 16. <laughs> even if I was a fan, um, the, the only thing that gives me pause there is sort of like there was a bit of that about... Um, actually, I tell a lie. It's more than three animes because I've also watched a lot of Dragon Ball over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I sort of think about what was the... Kakarot, whatever... Oh, Dragon Ball Z character, and like, yeah. And there was a lot of excitement about that being a true Dragon Ball JRPG, and then it just sort of came and went, and people were not that bothered about it. Because it was a um, bad game. Yeah, it was just not well, a good game. That, that's, that, that, that's the thing, right? And so that's why when I see big anime series getting an RPG adaptation, I'm like, is this just going to be like that? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I think from the screenshots they've they've shown and stuff, it looks like it's taking more influence from the Dragon Quest style of things. I almost it, this is entirely speculation on my part, but it almost feels like they looked at Yakuza like a dragon. And they, they saw that there was a lot of loving nostalgia for Dragon Quest that shone through really well in that game and said, hey, what's another thing that is like a hallmark of japanese media specifically anime one piece is like a classic over there it is very is a very important work in the manga world it would make a lot of sense for us to take some of those ideas and merge that nostalgia with the other nostalgia to make a nostalgia like bath bomb of intensity (laughs) and just chuck it into the pool yeah oh that sounds like a lovely bath nostalgia the the one piece bath bomb (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we don't. We haven't talked much about the Hoyoverse on this podcast. Mm. I don't think we've really covered Genshin Impact and whatnot because I, I'm just kind of allergic to service games these mm-hmm. days. And Genshin Impact is like the definition of a service game. So much uh, grinding, a lot of micro, microtransactions and whatnot. But it is extremely popular. And the Hoyoverse's um, kind of, uh, I should say, influence 
is definitely undeniable. And Eric, you were expressing some excitement for Zenless Zone Zero. It it looks really good. And and granted, part of that is yeah. that I, I'm fresh off of playing Scarlet Nexus uh, recently, and it ha- it gives me Scarlet Nexus vibes. Uh, it gives me that action RPG with like kind of modern. Um, it, I keep comparing it to Splatoon as well, because one thing that I love about Splatoon is it feels like it takes modern streetwear uh, like culture and brings it into an interesting world. And I feel like Zenless Zone Zero is doing a lot of that stuff as well. It's got like a look and a feel to it that isn't just, you know, as as nice as Genshin Impact looks, it is definitely, we did a, a fantasy RPG in an anime world, but like Zenless Zone Zero looks different and it looks unique in that respect. And I also love action RPGs, but Funnily enough, I was really hot on it until the Xbox showcase and talking about all the Riot Games stuff. Now I'm going like if Zenla Zone Zero is going to be a service game like that, can we put that on Game Pass <laughs> and I can just pay my Game Pass sub and get some sort of like benefit from that? Because I know from talking to people who play Genshin that there is either a time or a money requirement for that game. That is the it's nature of the beast. Yeah. And I played a lot of Genshin when it first came out, and in the end, I just and I was loving it, and in the end, I just had to stop. Mm-hmm. It just was mm-hmm. not; it was not tenable. Mm-hmm. And I've loved that about Final Fantasy fourteen is that as long as my sub is up, I can just go do fourteen stuff. I'm not going to be limited in any sort of way. I'm not going to have to do a lot of these. You know, there are grind fests like my relic weapon that I decided to start very poor decision but uh it's it's stuff that i opt to take on it's not something that's going to be mandatory for everybody to do because of the service nature of the game and so i i will probably try zenless zone zero but the worst part is i'm looking at it i'm like i'm going to play this probably do whatever story content they have and then the second it becomes that service game grind i'm probably out and gone to something else but i i will say like it looks cool. I also thought Honkai looked cool uh, as well. That's got like a sci-fi take on it. And they're saying stuff that, that, you know, makes my ears perk up like strategy RPG and all that. So we'll see. Yeah, it's how that cool. turns yeah, out. yeah. Yeah. I will say Zenless Zone Zero has like the logo of that game is a very sick bit of uh, like visual design. I really, mm-hmm. I think it's mm-hmm. really cool where it's the three Z's overlaid. It's just mm-hmm. like very striking. And I think they're extremely good at that aspect of things. They're extremely good at like just creating iconography that really hooks people. I mean, that's been the whole thing with Genshin, right? Um, yeah, I, I think they're proving themselves to be a great developer. Now there's all the gacha stuff, right? And you're either comfortable with that or you're not. Um, and you either think that's it's usually pedantry or you don't, or you land somewhere in the middle. But um, yeah, I've, I've, I'm looking forward to both of those upcoming games just to almost see what they do. Cause Genshin was such a, such a deft sort of threading of ideas from Breath of the Wild and ideas from mobile gacha games and ideas from here and ideas from there into, but woven into a very comprehensive and compelling whole. And if they can do that again in some other genres, um, then that'll be really cool to see. Maybe I'll even play them at a certain point. They are really pretty. Uh, I wouldn't mind picking them up. And like I said, their influence is absolutely undeniable. There's, um, you know, they really kind of reflect the progression of games in the current era. Very microtransaction driven, uh, very popular on mobile devices in particular and anime 
people are just really into the anime and these games are anime as heck. Genshin Impact, it's funny to watch the community around those games because people are just more excited about the character reveals than anything else to deal with the actual gameplay. They'll sit there and mm-hmm. write fan fiction for these characters before they're even released. It's uh, it's a fascinating thing to watch. But finally, uh, and maybe the biggest one was Marvel's Midnight Suns. Uh, it's going to get Spider-Man, it's got Venom, it's got Hulk. It's coming out on October 7th. To refresh your memory, that's the tactics game that is coming from Firaxis Games, the developer of XCOM, except uh, it, they didn't show much during the actual presentation. It was basically a CG trailer reacquainting us with the concept of Marvel's Midnight Suns, the, the horror aspect, that kind of thing, characters being corrupted. But uh, IGN, um, my day job, had an opportunity to go hands-on with Marvel's Midnight Suns and friend of the show, Leanna Hafer, uh, was playing it, and the thing that made my eye, ears, my eyes, my ears per- perk up, was her saying, "Well, this is more of an RPG than a tactics game." And yeah. the first thing I thought was like, "Okay, this is like Wasteland Three, kind of, where you have the the tactics aspects and everything, but a lot more weight is being put into the headquarters where you can go and you can smooch Iron Man." Um, even though there's no romance in this game, you're just best pals Cowards. with Iron Man. <laughs> very, very good <laughs> friends. But uh, I came out of this feeling a lot more optimistic and excited for Marvel's Midnight Suns, and I'm wondering if anybody agrees with me. Well, I, I immediately sort of, um, before they did this hands-on, sort of got the got the clue that the direction they were going in, because they also invited um, RPG site out to that uh, studio visit and for the hands-on and stuff. And so shout out to Scott who went out for RPG site and he came back very similar to what you were saying, Kat, just came back really, really impressed by the level of role-playing action that was in that game. And like on RPG site, we always sort of, we do a, a feature series called Branching Path, which is literally we cover stuff that isn't really an RPG. And as part of that, a regular staple has been XCOM coverage because I've always maintained, if you like Final Fantasy Tactics and Tactics Ogre, you're probably going to like XCOM. Even though the character development side of it, the progression side is paired back. The permadeath and the narrative you build for yourself with these characters, it's all very like those tactical RPGs. And so I guess it feels quite natural in that sense for these guys to segue into a more RPG, a more role-playing focused game. And what was really interesting was Scott was saying how they were talking about how they had builds that early on versions of this game that were way more XCOM and they didn't like it as much. And the more they tweaked, the more they moved up that scale towards a role-playing game. And I think that's really interesting, really exciting. I'll say to do a shameless plug, Scott did a pre- a general preview, but at some point in the next week, um, he's done a couple of pieces specifically diving into why it is an RPG and why it will satisfy RPG people. And so I recommend keeping an eye on the RPG site for that. But I do think, I mean, I love XCOM. I've got probably 800 hours between XCOM, XCOM 2, and... Um, the other one, whatever it was called, the smaller one they did. It's amazing that I've got like 100 hours on that and I can't remember what it's called. Uh, it's um, even that squad. good. Yes, Camera Squad. 
Yeah, um, I really didn't like that one. And I thought it was a lot closer. Uh, Midnight Suns is a lot closer to Chimera Squad. I, I hope Midnight Suns yes. ends up being a lot more fleshed out and a lot more polished than Chimera Squad. Chimera Squad yeah, felt all... like a, a goof. Like, it felt silly. Mm. Well, it's mm-hmm. almost like that was the that was the, the game jam concept game they made yes, that got yeah. them to Midnight Suns in a way. Um, except they put it out for 20 bucks, which, whatever, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm up for that. Um, but... Um, yeah, I'm really pumped for this. I mean, if I'm if I'm being honest in my heart of hearts, I'm getting kind of bored of Marvel in general. Um, and even though this is a fresh, different corner of the Marvel universe, uh, if and you know, if Sid Meier was to come down like God and say, "What do you want?" I would say, "Stop this project and just give me XCOM free." But uh, with Terror from the Deep stuff in it, but um, you know, I I, I think it looks radical and i can't wait to blame myself i'm extremely jealous of scott and the other people who got to go on the studio tour because it sounds like they're you know really confidently delivering something really awesome man i totally agree with you i would love uh to have an xcom 3 instead of marvel's midnight suns but one way or another we're gonna get it it's gonna be out on october 7th and the thing i'll say about it is at least it doesn't look like other marvel games at least it doesn't yeah. follow entirely in mcu it has a it has a real vibe for it. All right, that's all the major announcements for the Summer Game Fest and for Xbox plus Bethesda. And now it's time for a series of random encounters. Boyfriend Dungeon is getting free character DLC with a whip user designed by Kumi Nakamura. Um, everybody remembers her from a few years ago when she appeared on stage. She was great. We loved her. Uh, Richter Belmont stars in the next Netflix Castlevania, which is subtitled Nocturne, my favorite Belmont, I should add. Dragon Age is also coming to the streaming service this December. God of War Ragnarok will reportedly launch one month prior to that in November, according to a report from Bloomberg's Jason Schreier. Jeff Keighley says he plans to host a digital and in-person Summer Game Fest event in 2023. And E3 says it will be back in full force back uh, by then as well. It never ends, truly. Uh, a new report has alleged that Fallout 76's development was plagued by crunch and poor management. I believe that was from Kotaku, Eric. Am I right mm-hmm. on that one? Yes. Yep. Yeah. And Nintendo reportedly is sitting on a 1-2 Switch sequel that did not test well internally. Fanbyte first broke that news. And finally, uh, Dragon Age QA workers at Keyword Studio have voted to unionize. But before we move on to the mailbag, I want to talk about one more thing. Uh, Square is doing a Final Fantasy VII 25th anniversary showcase that's going to last about... Uh, how is it, how, it's not going to be very long, is it, Alex? It's 10 minutes. It's 10, 10 minutes. 10, 10 minutes. minutes long. Just, so it's short just, and sweet. Just enough time for a full 10-minute reveal of Final mm-hmm. Fantasy VII mm-hmm. Remake Part Two, right, Alex? I do. <laughs> so if I'm being honest, I do think we are going to get a look at that game. Um, I know some people are skeptical. I think the time is right. I think they, if, if I'm honest, I think they probably would have done it earlier, but all the uncertainty with Forspoken and 16 has probably, you know, I'm sure stuff has been moving around like crazy. Um my prediction is some first soldier bullshit that nobody cares about. Um, <laughs> you know, we'll find out when the first part of Ever Crisis is coming out, which is cool. There'll be some merch. They'll try and sell us, you know, 
glasses or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I have some hideously expensive Seventh Heaven um, like short glass that I drink whiskey out of somewhere in this room. Um, and yeah, I do think they'll give us seven part two. Um, I do. And, and and also a lot of people have been pointing out, like there's a lot of teases on that channel, um, on that channel, on like Square's social channels, especially in Japan. And it's, it's little things like, it's like um, they have a uh they've got the the Squenix cafe has been decked out in final fantasy 7 25th anniversary regalia for the event and they posted some photos on social from the japanese account and they posted photos of artwork on the walls but all the artwork they posted photos of was all from crisis core and some people mm. are zeroing in on this and going are you sort of pointing towards crisis core then you've got the fact that zach is in the 25th logo which you can read into that in multiple different ways i've got my theories but i won't go into that here because it gets into spoilers mm-hmm. <laughs> for the for the original remake and for the rest of the compilation to be fair but i feel like we're back to persona 3 right this is a game crisis core is a game that is completely impossible to to buy and play in the current world and in the second part of the seven remake it seems like the main character of that game is going to have something of a role to play. And the whole thing with FF7 Remake when they led up to release is they kept saying over and over again, and it comes back to that thing about Final Fantasy needing to find a bigger new audience. They kept saying repeatedly, this is a remake for the people who love the original, but also it's a new window into this universe Mm, for people mm. who have never touched it before. So these people probably need to know who that character is or at least have the option. So I think... I think Crisis Core Remaster or something has got to be happening. It just feels right. Um, could be wrong. I've been wrong before, <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I think I do. The long story short is, I think it's going to be a good broadcast, though. I think it'll be short and sweet. I think it'll be no bullshit. I don't expect to see lots of whatever this new. What is it even going to be? Right? Is it going to be Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two, or is it going to be some rebirth of the story in a different direction because they've got they've got an open railroad now or rather there is no railroad there's no tracks anymore mm-hmm. <laughs> so we will see what do you guys think we'll see i, I mean that that all sounds right to me yeah I, I i'm with you on we'll probably get some sort of starter pistol for final fantasy 7 remake part two uh and i am really interested to see where they take this direction moving forward with the story and, and yeah we'll probably see some some merch and stuff like that too some very like you can buy vinyl and and whatever else. We got T-shirts. Y'all seen those unique low T-shirts? We got them. Yeah. Nobody bought them or nobody managed to buy them <laughs> because they sold out immediately. But uh, yeah, I mean, the 10 minute thing is nice coming off of multiple hour and a half showcase streams over this last weekend. I, I love the idea of a 10 minute showcase just blasted in my eyes and move on. Sardin says, I'm expecting only First Soldier and Ever Crisis. I won't let them hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just, I do, I genuinely do believe that the, the time is right. And it's right for, for multiple reasons. Like we were talking about 16 earlier. I think if you're Square Enix, you have an easier time when you start getting into the weeds on what 16 is like and how it almost certainly has no party and it's basically a Devil May Cry game. If you have the ability as uh 
Yoshida or Takai or whoever to say, well, if you really want A to B, when you get those difficult questions and interviews, we've got a game for that coming mm-hmm. quite soon. And so I think that's the other aspect of it is it, it, it will reduce some of the pressure on 16 because they'll be able to point to whatever they're doing with seven as a more traditional Final Fantasy game, assuming it keeps the same battle mechanics and stuff as the first part. Yeah, there there was a similar thing with uh, when Dragon Age recently announced, like they just came out and said, this is the title of the new Dragon Age. Anyways, we'll see you later. And it was kind of a weird update. But now that we've seen the Netflix Dragon Age series and we've seen this called Dragon Age Absolution, um, Jeff Grubb was out there theorizing like, oh, hey, they probably announced the name of the game. So that way there wasn't confusion with the Netflix series. And so yeah. I think in the same way, them just getting out there and, and saying some early stuff about remake part two will help them kind of set tone moving forward just so they don't have to keep answering weird questions and dealing with weird stuff in their, in their public perception moving forward. It's just like tone setting. And yeah, I'll be surprised if we get a ton more than just like a, a, a cinematic or something, but yeah, they could probably say quite a bit in a 60 to 90 second CG teaser. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can show a little bit of Vincent's gun and his cape or whatever, Mm -hmm. and people will go nuts. Mm -hmm. Um, And I totally think that is. I mean, I would like to see some in-engine stuff, um, even if it's just cut scenes. And I don't think they're above that. And you've got to think, when did FS7 Remake launch now? Is that two years ago? Three years ago? 2019, right? Uh, It came out in 2020. 2020, yeah. I remember because it was in the middle of the pandemic. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, of course. So they've had they've had two years, and they're on Unreal Engine, and a lot of the work is done in terms of they've got a pipeline now. They know what they're doing. Um, so you would hope they would probably be quite far along. Like my hope is that you will get FF sixteen next summer, and then maybe this will come out in a similar slot to original remake, but in twenty twenty four. So it mm. would be so that mm-hmm. means it'd be what nine months after sixteen or something like that. Um, so hopefully they're far enough along where maybe they can actually show us something. I don't think they're going to want to show us much because they don't want to take too much focus off 16, but it's the 25th anniversary, man. You've got to do something. So they could show us mm-hmm. a bit now and then give us another crumb at the end of the year, right? Or something. When I think back to Final Fantasy VII Remake Part 1 and thinking about how it came out in the pandemic, I think it makes it a little even... It sharpens the maybe slight disappointment of the sales that much more because the pandemic was when entertainment and games went absolutely nuts. I mean, just look at Animal Crossing. And it's surprising yeah. to me, honestly, that Final Fantasy VII Remake on the PS4 with its huge install base, all the hype and all the marketing budget in the world in the middle of the pandemic, seemingly a good release window as well, seemingly with everything in its favor, it could only do $5 million? Wow. I, I, I have to, you have to think that they were disappointed by those numbers because even if you were to take Xbox and PC out of the equation, 15 still outdid it by quite a margin. Um, I don't know. Maybe the appetite is just more there for um, for new games, which I agree with. I was one of those people who didn't want a remake in the first place. And so like, I'm one of these people now where I'm cheering on. I want them to blow the continuity to pieces. Let Nomura just do whatever crazy Kingdom Hearts crap he wants to do. Go for it. Because, you know, we've got the original story. That's fine. That's untouched. And it never should be touched. So they can go nuts in this, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I wonder how much it was hurt by going episodic. 
because I think that uh, had to have hurt. Yeah, because mm, mm-hmm. in one but way or another, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Is it episodic? <laughs> I mean, more or less, right? No, but this is what I mean. Is it episodic? Is this game going to be Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two, or is it going to be something completely different that visits some of the same locations and you know redoes some of the iconic scenes, but really is a new game telling a new story? So you're saying part. So what we're what you're saying is that in effect, Final Fantasy VII. Uh, whatever it ends up being called will end up being a sequel, like a true sequel, not just part I two. made the joke when the, the game first came out after, you know, I mean, I guess we're, we're, we're into spoiler zone now, right? So there's the late warning. But when the first game came out, I made the joke saying, I think the next one should be called Final Fantasy VII 2. Mm. And I sort of maintain that I mean, they're not going to call it that because that's just confusing. But um, I, then again, Namor is not above a confusing name, is it? <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I I saw I still maintain and believe that is what this game is going to be. Um, would, they, would they call it FF Seven Two Remake? That'd be incredible. I would. That would die. Be funny. <laughs> uh, my money is on my money is on all these games. It would be a very Namora thing, however many parts it is. My money is on all these games being re something. Mm-hmm. And whatever the last one is, whether they do three games or four games, the last one will inevitably be called Reunion. Mm. Um, uh... That's that's my bet is that they'll all be re something. So look up words that begin with re. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Alex, go ahead, Alex King. Oh, oh, I, I wasn't saying anything. Sorry, I was just, uh, I like I, I've played a good chunk, you know, a lot of hours of, of the seven remake. And I liked it a lot. It was sort of the first final fantasy that I really got into, but I still haven't rolled credits on the thing. I just uh, keep forgetting to go back to it, but um, it's one that I'm sort of uh, savoring over time. And yeah, it's, it's surprising to me that it wasn't a bigger deal on release for sure, because um, me as someone who didn't really care about final fantasy that much previously, like I, I was like saying lots of good things about it. And um, yeah, the, the people that I would have expected to, to be playing it were playing other things. I guess Animal Crossing probably was part of its competition, maybe. And I don't know. Yeah, it, it is it, weird. It, it blows me away. It blows me away that there are still members of my team on RPG site who are by and large like Final Fantasy JRPG nerds who still haven't played it because they feel like, I might as well just wait until the complete story is available yeah. for me. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, because yeah. These, these one are... way or another, the story isn't done, right? So mm-hmm. I think that annoys people. Yeah, but on... the... mm-hmm. it, it's, it, you're right. But also the thing I'd say is I do think that game did a remarkable job at constructing a complete arc start to finish that made sense and was a self-enclosed story. Yes. In one game. I was really shocked. They did it really as someone who thinks a lot of what uh Najima and Namora write and deliver these days is nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um I think they did a ridiculous, fabulous job. Um and I enjoy that it's meta. I enjoy that it it's a remake that turns and winks at the audience and goes, We know. Mm-hmm. I think it's so much more interesting than what Capcom's doing with Resident Evil. Um, yeah, it's it's that Evangelion thing, right? That that is the that is the thing that everyone compared yeah. it to at the time. 
Um, I wish yeah, they were just and, doing but, a straight remake. <laughs> I, I do. I, here's the thing. Final Fantasy, whatever they make can never be as good as Final Fantasy VII. In my but opinion. that's what yeah. remake is about. Like, I know. like I've I've been it's preaching about this. Taking the FF7 Final Fantasy Seven and adding a whole dose of Nojima and Nomura nonsense to it. No, and no, but, it's think, it's literally a video game about how like how do you even begin to remake Final Fantasy Seven? Can you like is it right? I don't to need remake that Final meta Fantasy commentary. Just I love it. Final it's Fantasy so good, 7, man. <laughs> and it's 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 the meta textual aspect of it as well, right? Like of you have these ghosts that are literally screaming at the you and trying to mentors. stop you from yeah, changing I hate stuff. It. And in many ways, it. they are representative of the fans. Uh, it's the end of Evangelion in 7 remake form. God. It's so good. <laughs> and Talk about Mabel Gazy. Jeez. One of the folks in the chat mentioned Final Fantasy IX remake. And obviously that was one of those games that was on that NVIDIA um, leak where almost everything else that was in that leak has turned out to be real. So I have no doubt that that is a project that existed. Does it still exist? Is it a product that's coming to release? Who knows? We'll find out down the line. But my bet would be this. If they do a remake of 9, it won't be a lavish remake like Final Fantasy 7. It will be something like what they did to Trials of Mana. And that probably will be faithful and shot for shot to the original and I don't want that. Final Fantasy IX is perfect. It's it's very close to a perfect game. The battle system's a bit slow, but other than that, it's super close to a perfect game. You know, I, to, to, to be honest, the version with the fast forward, which can speed battles up, to me, is untouchable. But that comes back to what you said, right? Can't, they're not going to make a better game than Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. Well, I guess, like, I, I think I am, I'm fine with them... Um playing around with the concept of doing a remake and everything. Um, I I wasn't the biggest fan of the end of Final Fantasy VII Remake. Um, I do think that it was kind of Kingdom Heartsy. Uh, that's what I'm going to say. It was totally Kingdom Hearts. It was very yeah. Kingdom Heartsy. yeah. I don't like I, Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> but some so. of the some of the some of the deeper BS they were sort of playing with there, yeah. I thought was was really quite interesting. Like the sure. idea that's in the that's in, that's in the subtext that those three uh, beings, powerful beings towards the end, are the three characters from Advent Children. And they're fighting you because you're about to create a future in which they don't exist. It's really, all that stuff's really interesting. But also, they probably need to do away with that stuff now. Like, the point of the end of that game is that you've broke free of fate. So now you've there shouldn't be any the more broken the timeline ghosts. now. What's going to happen mm-hmm. now? Yeah. Yeah, Actually, and so reading... there shouldn't be any more ghosts or any of that. It should just be you're out in this world, and do Cloud and Zack both exist in the same world? What happens then if Cloud mm-hmm. and Zack meet? You know, how does Cloud react to well, that? What t- does that cause with his? They'll his turn into state? a blob and disappear, like in time. I'm a, cop. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Doctor Who fan, so I look at it as like, you know, in, in the lore of Doctor Who, if you have the same item and they touch each other, it causes, a sm- from different points in the time dream, it causes a small explosion. So oh. if those two Buster Swords connect, I would like to see yeah. them cause an explosion because they're the same item. Wouldn't that be a trailer, Zack and Cloud clashing? Oh, Final that Fantasy would be so hype. Rebirth, oh whatever God. they call it. Amazing. I mean, they should call it Rebirth. I mean, Zack coming yeah, back re- from the rebirth. dead, right? I, 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 I just I just googled like words when I was saying I bet they'll all start with re and I was just looking yeah. and I was like there's re- there's renew uh-huh. where again renewal. that would be yeah. Final Fantasy VII renewal renewal Redo. there's reform mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um 
they can't use a reforged Warcraft three kind of torch the <laughs> the ground for that one. I like Sardin saying, "If by clashing you mean kissing." <laughs> so good yeah, yeah zach is gonna do that thing with the buster sword where he like puts it under cloud's chin and lifts it up with with the buster sword a little uh, bit and it's just like the fan base will melt it'll be great yeah i alex when it comes to messing with a final fantasy 7 story my brain tells me you're right in that this was a smarter and more interesting approach than just remaking final fantasy 7 shot for shot but in my heart for some reason I'm just never going to really be able to jive with it. And I, and I want to accept it on its own merits. I think the majority of people merits. agree. I want I to accept it on its own merits. I think the majority of people merits. agree with you. I genuinely do. I believe the majority yeah. of the audience agrees with you. And I think as they go on down the line with a second game, with an inevitable third game, I bet there's at least three, maybe there'll be more. I think as they get down that line, they will find a difficulty in retaining users because I think people will lose interest in this new story. Yeah, um, yeah. But I do think it's really interesting. So, you know. final final thought, and I will say something nice about Final Fantasy VII Remake. Intergrade whipped. I loved Yuffie. It was mm, so good. Mm. And if that for alone, I'm glad that Final Fantasy VII Remake exists. Okay, she's Let, she's great. Her voice actor's great. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, we're running out of time, so let's move on to what we have been playing. Eric, looks like you've been playing that Fire Emblem. Three Hopes demo, what are you thinking? Yeah, sadly, I don't have a, a copy copy of the game. I'm not on coverage for that, so I just played the demo. But because I have a problem, I played the demo three times and played each of the routes. Um, so <laughs> uh, I can provide a definitive ranking of the routes uh, up through Chapter 4, which is Black Eagles is the best, and then Golden Deer, and then Blue Lions. Uh, but uh, I, if you and can't tell my the girl. Fact, <laughs> if you can't tell from the fact that I played it three times, I really like this game. Like it's, I think it's probably one of the strongest Nintendo warriors games they've made. And I'm it's even comparing one. it to Hyrule warriors. Like it takes everything that was good about fire emblem warriors, which was not, I mean, the action is one thing and the action in Muso games is always going to be the action in Muso games. So like that is going to be a barrier for you at the end of the day. But as I've preached on this show before, Muso games shine when they highlight the strategic layer, when they highlight the the fact that you're having to manage an army and often an army that is at disadvantageous odds or you're fighting multiple fronts and multiple armies are dealing with ambushes, sudden attacks, uh, trying to enact your strategy while stopping the other armies like Muso games when they're done well are strategy games as well. And Fire Emblem Three Hopes does it so well and gives you so many tools for doing it because it uses the weapon triangle and it uses weaknesses and and strengths. So you have to go into a battle and look at the map and say, okay, the enemy's deploying a lot of Lance users. So I should probably get some people that are good against Lances and, Oh, they've got some flying units and I can see that there are flying points near these bases. So I should either deploy my own flying units if I want to offensively push across them or have archers there and keep them stationed nearby and issue orders throughout the battle. So that way I'm defending those points of ingress. It's got that layer ticking really, really well in this game. Uh, I, I think that stuff is just exceptional. And then you add on like the biggest problem with Fire Emblem Warriors. The first one is that the cast sucked. (laughs) I'm sorry. It was just not a good representation of Fire Emblem, in my opinion. I think it had just 
too many the same problem as super smash brothers too many sword users <laughs> and uh this one has the entire three hopes cast they're all talking with each other they all have supports with each other and you have supports that you can do in between missions that work really well and there's a good swath of units across them so you have a lot of different attack types a lot of different unit types that you're moving around and you add in the fact that they are playing with the story of three houses like the first two chapters are basically a <laughs> they they find a way to write out the time skip part of of three houses where they basically say like oh what if byleth never became a professor at garrick mock how would that change the story and it turns out that it was actually for everyone's benefit that byleth never became a teacher and <laughs> everything goes better because of it uh and it, it it's a really cool story take on that as well and you get to play around with that idea more and be a student so there's no more questionable weird romance stuff there either you are now a student at garrick mock along with those those other characters so all of it is just really exceptional and the only knocks I can really put against it are that it's it's on the switch, so it still doesn't run spectacularly. I think it runs better than Age of Calamity did, but it still runs about as well as any Switch Muso does. So that's, that's oh, I disagree with that. I I disagree with that. Like I think um, it's it's mostly quite a solid thirty. I'm pl- I mean, it's all it, to be it, clear, it, yeah, because there might be build differences. I'm not playing the demo; I'm playing the final build, and I have to mm-hmm. be extremely careful because I'm embargoed out mm-hmm. the ass. But um, I think the performance is is great. Um, well, great is a strong word. It's not great. No Musu game performs great. You could probably, you know, you could put a Musu on a twenty eighty mm-hmm. or thirty eighty Ti, yeah. and it'll still it'll still run run poorly. But mm-hmm. um, yeah. I, I, uh, this is also what I'm playing, and just to just to pick up on some of the things that you were saying, um, without getting into any other pieces, I think just broadly on the broadest level, the story, I think Hyrule Warriors was fun because there was so much great iconography, mostly from Ocarina, mm-hmm. that they could exploit in mm-hmm. terms of characters. Then they did Farmed and Warriors, and like I say, it sort of the cast sort of sucked and stuff. And then they did. Cl- Calamity, and the problem with Calamity was they had this really killer idea of what if we tell, we're back to Final Fantasy VII Remake, what if we tell mm-hmm. the same story but fuck it up in a, and mm-hmm. do it in a different way. Mm-hmm. And that was magic, but in Breath of the Wild, you only really have like six really truly iconic characters to play mm-hmm. with in that world, mm-hmm. and four of them you barely get to know in Breath of the Wild anyway. And I felt like it just really hamstrung what they could do with taking that story in different directions it is the opposite here they have Mm -hmm. such an embarrassment of riches with characters and it's so exciting to see some of them going off in different directions Mm -hmm. um and you know being put into different situations that i just think it's it's a perfect perfect fit um and then yeah by having that it then led to the mechanics that were all right in the original Fire Emblem Warriors shine even more because you're enjoying the narrative and you want to see where things are going to go. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I um, I wrote a preview. All of this is pretty much what I said in my preview. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm really, I'm, I haven't finished it, but I'm really enjoying it. Are you playing anything else, Alex? Not specifically. Um, I've been playing, been chipping away at a Chrono Trigger playthrough, which is just oh. something I do every Heck couple yeah. of years. Um, <laughs> nice. It's just something I do every couple of years, and I was inspired by um, Radical Dreamers um, to sort of go back and rethink about that one. 
and I keep, I don't know why, but I keep going back to cyberpunk. Um, I think, I say I don't know why. I think the truth is I just actually really rather like it. Um, And what a what an endorsement! I I don't know why I keep going back to it, but I think I like it. (laughs) Well, I I liked it. I liked it when it launched. I was one of those people who gave it quite a good review on the basis that I had not touched the console version, and I played it on my PC and I tested it on a high spec PC and a low spec PC and it ran fine. It had issues, but it was fine. And then it's that classic thing of you see the console version after giving a good score in a review and go, oh no. Um, one of the few times in my life where we've literally put out a review addendum going, if you read the review and were excited for the game, please reconsider if you are playing it on console. Um, and I do think it's got tremendously better over the last nine months or so. Like, not even just in terms of um, pat, like bug fixes, but there's quite a lot of life added to the world new little world events whether you see you you catch police chases and various npc interactions that are really fun Um, there was a big leak of dlc and the dlc sounds really cool and it's going to add new endings and stuff like that um including what i think will probably be the canon ending if they ever want to do a sequel um yeah and 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 i do think that that game has a lot of charm i just think it's one of those games where if there's cause for them for that game to be reevaluated by the greater public, I think it will probably time will be kind to that game in the end. Um, I think it already right has now, been. Obviously. I think people have turned around on it. Like uh, at least yeah, from my vantage has. point over at IGN, every time we write about cyberpunk, people are really into it. Like people are, it has a fan base, and they're very vocal. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Alex Kane, what about you? What are you playing? Uh, with friends, it's been mostly Fortnite, like the last six months, especially like I think Fortnite's in a really good place. Um, zero build is a big part of that, but it, it's it's really only one one of the reasons that like Fortnite has been so compelling lately. I think that they've really kind of mastered the art of changing up the game world and, and switching out items without like completely just breaking it and making you th- there was a point where I was kind of into Fortnite and they did a big refresh of all the weapons and i was like ooh i don't like this and then i kind of checked out for a while but uh yeah the last 6 months it's been firing on all cylinders and it feels good to win you know occasionally and um you know people don't uh i don't know the the balance of like sort of skill and um accessibility or uh, approachability is is really pretty hot right now where you know, it's, it's not quite like Apex where you can just get completely slaughtered sometimes. But, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and then I started a new uh, KOTOR 2 hit the switch a few days ago. Mm. And, and so yeah. I started a character like three nights ago, I think. And then the last two days I've just like have not put that down. Uh, it feels so good to to kind of have like a new KOTOR game to obsess about after I spent like two years of my life, like interviewing people about the first KOTOR and writing a book. And um, that game is still fun to play, but it's kind of like <laughs> I've discovered that been there, done that, you know, a little bit. And so uh, I never really fell in love with KOTOR too. And I'm kind of uh, getting to do that now, which is kind of, humorous because i did you know i played it when i was working on the kotor one making of book i 
I sort of tried to play it again afterward and I sort of got to Nar Shada and I'm like, okay, this is work. I'm doing this because I feel like I'm supposed to do this. And now, you know, three years later, it's like, I'm digging the switch port. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm just playing this because I want to. And uh, it's like, oh damn, like this really is, you know, as good as the original. um, If you kind of let yourself accept the fact that it's doing different things. It's got a different pace. It's got a different sort of grindiness to it than the first one, but uh, yeah, it's really hitting the spot and the writing is so good by Star Wars standards. Yeah. It's it's so, so good. Yeah. uh, KOTOR one and two on switch low key. I I feel like they're underappreciated because I I think the Aspire Mm -hmm. actually did a really good job um, remastering these games for Nintendo switch. It's the best best versions honestly yeah. and uh both games hold up really well and they they restored the the cut content the ending for kotor 2 i i, I think mm-hmm. you should pick them up yeah i mean you spend some gold points if you've got on your switch account you know if you got a couple hundred gold points i got the game for like 12 dollars, and it's you know I, I can't put it down so um yeah it's basically like a one-to-one port of like the pc versions of these two games it's it's pretty amazing well, as for me, I promised that I would be getting back to this week in GeckoCon this week. That's not happening because I've been in LA, been on the road pretty much constantly. I haven't really had a time to pick up my Vita, ironically. Um, I will be returning <laughs> to this month in GeckoCon uh, next week because it will have been about a month since I last talked about it. In the meantime, because I have no self-control whatsoever, um, a friend of the show, Amy Dunham, decided to start playing Pokemon Crystal. And I was like, eh, why not? I'll start playing too, but I'll do a Nuzlocke run. Started yeah. a Nuzlocke Ooh. run in Crystal. I picked Chikorita and named him a Paprika. And <laughs> I went to our Discord and I said, hello, noble patrons. I would like to do a Nuzlocke run and I would like to name the Pokemon after you who wants to be named after a Pokemon. And thus far, we have uh, Teeps the Pidgey, who's now a Pidgeotto. And Teeps the Pidgeotto has just been absolutely wrecking for me. Because one of the things that I've kind of discovered about Pokemon Crystal, uh, I, didn't re- I didn't remember the first couple gyms being so easy, but they are wickedly easy. They really give you every opportunity to level your Pokemon up. So it's been a shockingly smooth ride so far. I just caught a Growlithe. I named it Nadia and because, of course, uh, Arcanine is Nadia's favorite Pokemon. Uh, so I have a party now that I use regularly of um, Bayleaf and Pidgeotto and Growlithe and a handful of others. Uh, Dr. Horror is a uh, Bellsprout that has all of my uh, HMs. And sadly, Pash the Geodude died nobly taking a blow for uh, Pidgeotto because I've been very, very conservative, very careful to make sure that uh, my Pokemon don't end up dying. Uh, the thing that I'm very scared about right now is that I'm heading into the Goldenrod gym, which uh, infamously has uh, Whitney and her Miltank. And I'm quite nervous because, of course, you can't save scum your way through this. You can't. Um, you only get one shot. Whitney is a a pretty famous barrier. So we'll see how this ends up going. But I've been really enjoying it. I've been playing out of my analog pocket. My my Vita ended up staying home. I brought my analog pocket instead. And oh my God, that screen is gorgeous. I love that I'm having an opportunity to really play on my analog pocket. 
and Pokemon Crystal's lit. I love the music. I love the art. The, it has this wonderful retro aesthetic to it that works really, really well. It's surprisingly fast. I remember old school Pokemon being pretty slow, but this one runs at a really decent clip. I love the battle scenes and everything. It's been a delight. It's been making me re-like Pokemon. Um, so I, I've i been meaning to do a Nuzlocke run for a very long time now. Finally doing it. And uh, thanks to all the support from our patrons. Um, hopefully we'll catch some more and I'll keep naming you after naming Pokemon. But Teeps, MVP so far. It's my Nuzlocke run. If I, any of y'all ever attempted a Nuzlocke run in Pokemon? I, I am not so bold as to try uh i think if i did any pokemon run it would probably be like a randomizer or something but nuzlocke was always a level of challenge that i appreciated from afar yeah i've done a randomer before and um the closest thing i guess is i've done five job uh four job fiesta before mm. but no I, maybe legit one legit that's that's uh that's hardcore i'd be curious to know like which pokemon is the hardest to do a Nuzlocke versus the easiest. I'm guessing that Crystal is probably one of the easier games to do a Nuzlocke run, especially because, if I recall correctly, the Elite Four in Johto are quite weak, and I think you have a lot more runway to actually be able to grind up a team uh, and get things going So uh, versus some of the later games in the series, which are low-key a little bit difficult. But, yeah, that's what I'm working on. Don't worry, I have not abandoned this week in GeckoCon. I will be back with that next week. But in the meantime, that's the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you are a Stars of Destiny and you are listening to this, we'll be heading into a post-show right after this, which will be available on your feed. I have some more thoughts on Fire Emblem Three Hopes and Muso games in general, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, uh, thank you to Alex Kane and Alex Donaldson for being on the show. We really appreciate you having you we'd love to hear your thoughts on the xbox game showcase and summer games fest and all of the zillion other fest uh showcases that we missed i'm sure there are plenty of interesting rpgs out there i want to hear about them in the meantime you can follow me on twitter the underscore kappa eric is at cmoosi s-e-a-m-o-o-s-i we are on patreon patreon.com slash pod where your support will give you access to tons of bonus content We'll be back next week, as always, to talk more about the genre that we love. But until then, for Alex, Alex, Eric, and myself, thanks for listening. Happy adventuring.